holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, capital K, the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs, with the tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Father, bless the preaching of your word today. Open up our hearts, Lord God. Help us to understand where we are with you. Help us to admit where we are with you. And God, I pray that you'll help us to see the improvement that needs to be made. I pray that you'll help us to see the improvement that has been made. Most of all, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to see that every bit of good and every bit of change that's taken place in our, placed in our life is from you. And we thank you for that love and grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. I love this particular vision and testimony that Isaiah had and God had him to write down. There is so much here. You know, when you read about these seraphim and what they were and what they looked like, it makes you understand some of the creatures that we have on this earth, animals and things deep in the sea that God has made. And I believe he's made them not only for us, but also for himself. He's got some pretty strange looking creatures flying around his throne, crying out, holy, holy, holy to the Lord. But the part of this I want us to look at this morning is verse 5. As a result of Isaiah standing in the presence of God, he realized something about himself apparently that he had not already seen. He was a prophet of God. He was a man of God. He had heard many things from God, but yet when he got into the presence of God, all of a sudden, all of his filthiness, all of his wrong motives, all of his unkind and unholy words began to kind of come to the surface of his life. And right there in the presence of God, he realized that he was not the man that he needed to be. Not only was he concerned about his own spiritual condition, but for the condition of his whole nation because they were the people of God. I think this says a very simple message to us that we will get through as we go through. The only way for us to really realize where we are with God is to, as much as we possibly can, to get in His presence. And we can through the power of the Holy Spirit, through prayer, through seeking God, through reading the Word. We can walk right into the presence of God and what we will see is not only how wonderful and marvelous He is, but also where we are. I think I mentioned this last week or recently somewhere that after 45 years of serving the Lord, man, I, I ought to be perfect by now. <laughs> and I am through the blood of Christ. And God has done great work in my life, but there's always room for improvement. And you know what? That right there shows us. Have you ever noticed that when you have sinned, you don't want to pray? You don't want to read the Bible? You know why? 
because all of a sudden our sinfulness begins to be revealed. And so instead of running to God as we should, we run away from God because we don't, we don't want to feel all that, that badness that is within us. Now, I'm not here to tell you how awful you are today, but I'm here to tell you how wonderful Jesus is. And that when we receive Christ, God starts working on us, and he's put within us a desire to become like him because, you know what, he became like us so that we could become like him. Not as a God, but as a, as a person who loves God, who is living for God, who is walking with the Lord, who has the right attitude about things, who has the right motivation for things. And so from the time we get saved, God starts working on us. And you know how to know if you're really saved? Do you want God to work on you? It's not a matter of where you are in your level of holy living. It's a matter of where you are in your heart and what you want God to do. And when a person is truly saved, they have a desire that says to God, Lord, whatever's in my life that you're not pleased with, help me to get rid of it. And God, whatever is not in my life that you want in my life, God, bring it. That's a great way to measure where we are. And you know what? Unfortunately, we have ups and downs. There's times when we've got great desire for God to work in our life and do great things in our life and we're surrendering all to God and then life just kind of gets a hold of us and the devil's coming along working against us and then all of a sudden those desires just kind of diminish and that's the time we got to just realize, hey, this life is going through cycles but I'm getting back to where I need to be. Because the goal of the devil is to not only give us those down times but to let those down times just keep, 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 keep going I probably shouldn't say this right now because I'm getting on an airplane in the morning but you know you can be at 30,000 feet and that plane can drop about 10,000 feet and it won't hurt you a bit your stomach might hit the top of the airplane your blood pressure may go up but you know what you could go down another 10,000 and everything would be all right but you don't want that thing to hit the ground before it gets to the airport Sorry for those others that might be flying this week. You see what I'm saying? Our walk with God, just because we have some down times or low times, doesn't mean that we're lost or kicked out or anything. God doesn't do that. But if we keep on going in that direction, danger awaits us. Let me move on. Because today is what I want to talk about is self-examination. Self-examination, when done right, can be very beneficial in many areas of our life. In our walk with the Lord, it is very important that we see where we are. And the only way we can do that, I'll get to that a little bit more, is by taking the time to do it. You know, one of the most wonderful inventions that I've found is the phone and the maps and GPS on the phone. You know, if you want to go somewhere, all you got to do is pick up your phone and say, Hey, Siri, give me directions to the Dairy Queen in Hiram. There you go. And so then I hit the button and a map pulls up. And if I didn't know how to get there, of course, I know how to get to all of them. But if you're on a trip and you've done this before, hey, I'm preaching right now. Would you please be quiet? And you've, you're following directions to a place you don't know how to get to. And you can put this on the dash so you can see it because you can't pick up your phone while you're driving. And... You don't know exactly where you are, and you look at that map, and what do you see? You see a little blue dot, and it'll show you exactly where you are. 
And many times I've been using that feature and I've made a wrong turn and I kind of feel like something isn't right. And so I look at it and sure enough, my little blue dot's gone off the little blue line in the direction of where I'm going. And it's good to be able to kind of on a trip that you're not sure of to just take it out and look at it and see where you are. Well, in our spiritual walk with God, we need to be taking out that spiritual map and seeing where we are. And if we'll read this map and read the book, we will see exactly where we are, and it's so very, very important. It's amazing to me that at this time in Isaiah's life, there were still things in his life that he had not yet realized. But when he got into the presence of God, he began to see for sure. It didn't mean that God was not pleased with his life. It doesn't mean that God didn't want to use him as a prophet of God. Because you know what? I found that God uses imperfect people. It's not so much what we do or don't do, even though that is very, very important. The most important thing is the condition of our heart. So listen to this. What is, why is it important to examine ourselves? It's easy to find in the Bible, Romans 12 and 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. That right there tells me that, yeah, God is trying to get across to us that we should be examining ourselves. Sometimes we think that we are much greater, much closer than we really are. And we need a good, clear picture of where we are. Another scripture that kind of brings this out, that this can easily be a problem for all of us, is in the book of Luke, chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness. I like that phrase. Because sometimes we get confident in our own righteousness. But he says, to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. That's a pretty good sign of where somebody is with the Lord. You get around people that start looking down on other, other people, especially somebody in the church that starts looking down on other people in the church. You know what that says to me? Watch out. Watch out. Because, and it's easy for, easy, listen, this is easy for any of us to do. To notice the faults and failures of other people. So the, they looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable to them. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulteries are even like this tax collector. Mm. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. He was really lifting him up. Lord, I would imagine you're sitting up there in heaven thinking about how wonderful I am. How happy you are to have me in your kingdom. The day I got saved was just a day of victory. That's awful, isn't it? I'm telling you, if we're not careful, we'll get that attitude. I want to be valuable to God, and I am valuable to God. I want to do something valuable for the kingdom of God. But you know what? We can't do that unless we stay humble. Unless we have an attitude, God, Lord, without you, I am hopeless. And I want to tell you something. That's the attitude that I'm having today. Without you, Lord God, I am worth nothing. Without you, God, I can do nothing. Without you, Lord, I'm going to die and go to hell. Without you, Lord Jesus, everything that I am is, is awful. And I believe you're, you're thinking, Pastor, you're really messing up our self-esteem. Well, you know what? 
We don't need any self-esteem. We, I'm not talking about beating yourself up and talking that you're just a piece of trash and all that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about that. There's nothing wrong with having a good, healthy view of ourselves. I'm not talking about getting down on yourself and poor mouthing yourself and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about us having the real understanding that without Jesus, we are nothing. And we can easily get down on all these horrible people in the world, just like this Pharisee did. Lord, I'm, and I'm, I'll tell you, I'm glad I'm not a robber. I'm glad I'm not an adulterer. I'm glad I'm, I'm even glad I'm not a tax collector. But I'm glad that I'm not all those things. But I don't have any right to criticize or condemn people that are messed up in sin because without Jesus, I'd be one of them. I'd be right in the middle of everything that they're doing that is bad and horrible and evil and wicked. And I believe that's a good, healthy attitude for us to have. I believe that's the way God wants us to realize. You know why? Because we're putting our dependence on Him instead of on ourselves. And then in verse 13, He talks about the tax collector. Because understand, I'm not telling you to get mad at the IRS. I'm telling you, in Bible days, tax collectors were truly the scum of the earth, if I can use that, that phrase. They collected the money that was required, but they also collected a whole lot more for themselves. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. Wow. But beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's the attitude. Something had gotten a hold of the heart, and this was a story that Jesus told. I think it really happened. Something had touched the heart of this tax collector that day, and he realized how evil a man that he was, and he knew where to go. He went to God, but he didn't go to God, you know, with pride. He didn't go to God saying, Lord, I got all this money, and I'm putting, I'm putting this money in the church. He went there and said the truth. And the truth was that he was a sinner. And he didn't even want to look up toward God. He was so humbled. He felt so bad because of his sinfulness. And, and we should, when we bring our sins to Christ, we should come humbling ourselves before him, not thinking so highly of ourselves. You see, this is why it's so important for us to judge ourselves. This Pharisee judged himself completely wrong. This tax collector judged himself exactly the way he was and God forgave the tax collector and the Pharisee did not go away justified because he didn't even have any realization that he needed God you see when we judge ourselves here's something else to think about from that story when we judge ourselves by comparing ourselves to others we may think that we are the greatest Christian in the whole world if you start looking around and saying well I'm not and you know what? Let me tell you something. And I mean what I'm saying. This probably doesn't happen so much in this church, but I believe it happens in a lot of churches. It can happen here. It may be happening here. But I want to tell you, I've talked to a lot of people over the years, and they've told me, you know what? I'm just as good as anybody down there at that church. I'm just as good. I don't go to church, but I'm just as good as anybody down there at that church. I know how they are. They're all a bunch of hypocrites, and I'm just as good as them, just as good as any of them. I want to tell you something. We compare ourselves to other people, we will be in trouble. You know how I know that? It's kind of like me. If I compare myself as a ping pong player 
to all the ping pong players that I've ever played, man, I'm pretty good. Except for Eric Taylor, he's messed me up because he, he's, he, he's beat me. Hard for me to say that. But, you know, right here in front of God and the whole church, i got to be honest. He has beat me. So if I compare myself to most everybody that I've ever played ping pong with besides Eric, has anybody here else here beat me? Oh, good. look around, there's no hands. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you. Anyway, let me go ahead and get this illustration over with because it probably could have been left out. If I compared myself to all the other players, I'd probably think pretty highly of myself. But if I compare my ping pong skills to Forrest Gump, I ain't got a chance. That didn't go over as good as I thought it would. See, the danger of thinking more highly of ourselves than we should is that we may get self-reliant. And we can never get self-reliant. And, if we, and we won't think we need Jesus. We don't want to be self-reliant as Christians. We'll never make it. You can't be what God wants you to be. You can't do what God wants you to do. I believe I was walking through two Sunday school classes this morning several times. Unfortunately, I didn't mean to interrupt. But I think it was Mark's class that I heard him say that we can, we can try to live a holy life by our own will. And it won't happen. You can't do it. It's only through the power and the strength of God that we're able to live for Him. So the danger of thinking lowly of ourselves would be to think that what Jesus has done for us is not enough. So there's two things here. Think too highly and you become self-reliant. Think too lowly and you don't think much of what Jesus has done in your life. Jesus can make us into the most wonderful, godly people on the face of this earth. Not in comparison to other people, but because of what he did for us on the cross. And so we need to be thinking about that. We need to understand, too, that we are valuable. Let me get your self-esteem back up here. You are so valuable that God, the creator of the universe, became a human being and was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, went through this life just like you go through it. He had to eat. He had to sleep. He had to walk wherever he went. And everything else that we face as people living in a human body, he did all of that even though he was the creator of everything. And he let the very people that he created nail nails through his his hands, beat him in his back and all over his body, put a crown of thorns on his head and slash a, a sword in his side, and he let the people that he created do that to him because you're so valuable to him. If you're trying to get value from other people, I mean, it's great that people need us and want us and love us, nothing wrong with that, but let our greatest value be that God, the creator of the universe, loves us. And counts us as valuable and important. So what is it that we really are examining? When I say examine yourself, what is it that we're really supposed to be examining? You see, most Christians think that it is all about what we do or don't do. That's easy to fall into that trap. And then we feel terrible when we do the wrong things. We feel a little bit good when we do something good. But we live in this emotional roller coaster of the things that we're doing or not doing. Now, I'm not going to tell you that what we do and don't do is not valuable. But I'm going to tell you about something more important that we need to be examining. And what we really need to be examining is the condition of our heart. The condition of our heart. Now, let me explain that. The definition of the heart 
Now, when we talk about the heart, we're not talking about the physical heart that's inside our chest, beating, pushing blood throughout our body, keeping us alive. The heart, according to the Bible, is part of a man's spiritual makeup. Our heart, listen to this closely, because if you don't understand this, you won't get the rest of this. Our heart is our emotions and our desires. It also includes our will, what we want to do, what we choose to do. The condition, excuse me, it is that, it is that which drives the will of man toward action. That's what the heart is. The heart is what drives a man to action. In other words, the heart determines what you do or don't do. The condition of your heart determines how you live. The condition of your heart determines how you treat other people, how you speak to other people. The condition of your heart determines whether you take time to pray or read the Bible or go to church. The condition of your heart is determining what is truly your greatest core value. The condition of your heart determines what you really love in this life. So, the condition of the heart will determine what those actions are and will determine what is important and valuable to us. The physical heart is an organ that pumps blood. The heart of man, as described in the Bible, is primarily a spiritual organ that drives man's behavior. In other words, the way you're living right now, what you count as important in your life, what you spend your time doing is coming from your heart. And so we're going to move on. Keep that in mind. So here's an example. When you get in the car to drive, you're the heart of that automobile. Why do we say that? Because you determine what that, heart, what that car does. You're the heart of that automobile. You can sit there. You don't have to crank it up. You can just sit in it. Or you can turn the key, press the button, whichever your car does, and you can start it up. And then you can decide if you want to, you're going to go somewhere. So you put it in drive. And then you take your foot off the brake and you mash the gas pedal and it starts going. And then your hands are on the steering wheel. So you can determine where that car goes. That's, you're the heart of the car. Well, that's your heart in your man, inside of you, your heart determines where you go. And so with that in mind, it is so important that we examine our hearts. And here's how we do it. How do you examine your heart? First of all, you can measure your thoughts and actions. You want to know what condition of your heart is? Measure the thoughts and actions. Whatever you think about and do the most is the condition of your heart. In other words, whatever you do the most, whatever you think about the most is normally the one thing that you love the most. And you can measure that by what you do. So you can keep an account. Matter of fact, right now, some of you are thinking about that. What am I doing? What am I spending my time thinking about? It doesn't mean you got to think about God one, uh, you know, 24 hours a day. I hope that we're all in a spiritual condition where, at least spiritually, our, our mind not on the forefront every minute of the day because you do have to do other things and think about other things. But during our free time, when we can think about anything we want to think about, how much of that free time are we thinking about God? And during our free time, which we can do whatever we want, how much of that time are we spending reading the Bible? 
praying, going to church. You love the Lord. So you got up this morning and came to church because you just believe that's what God wants you to do. He tells us in the Bible to do that. Or maybe that's not the real reason you came. Somebody made you come. Or maybe you got a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a husband or a wife and they made you come. Maybe your parents made you come. Maybe your children made you come. Maybe some other reason will make you come. You know, when we have food, a lot of people come. <laughs> so what's the motivation? What is the motivation of our heart? And I'm not saying you got to spend five, ten hours a day reading the Bible. But I'm telling you, here's the danger. If during our free time we never read the Bible, something's not right. If during our free time we never spend any time praying, something's not right. If during that free thinking time or doing time, God's not in it very much, something's wrong in here. And I know there's a whole lot of other things to do. We all like to do other things. But how much, and again, I'm not going to tell you, let's say you got five hours one day that you can do whatever you want. And do you have to spend the whole five hours reading the Bible? Well, you could if you wanted to. But if you took the whole five hours and you did something else and you didn't include God in anything you were doing, I think it's a time to examine, you know, what is the condition of our heart? But if we got some free time and all of a sudden we think, wow, you know what? I'm going to take some time today and I got some free time. I'm going to get my Bible out and I'm going to read it. And I'm driving down the highway today, so I can think about whatever I want to think about while I'm driving. You know, it's not like you have to watch the highway or anything. I'm going to think about whatever I want to think about. Does God ever come into the thought process during that time? And so we're examining ourselves. Probably all of us could feel guilty right now. And again, I'm not saying you got to, you know, give God 90% of your time. I mean, you know what? You can be doing a whole lot of other things and God's still right in the middle of what you're doing. But I believe we got to think about where, what am I thinking about? What am I doing? And that's one of the greatest ways that we can measure where we are. Here's the scripture that is so powerful. Listen carefully. Luke 6, 45. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Isn't that amazing? So our actions, our words, our thoughts are just a result of the condition of our heart. And you know what? Without Jesus, our heart will never be right. That's why I can tell you today that if I wasn't saved, if I didn't believe in the Lord, if I wasn't a, a follower of Jesus... I would be doing all kind of evil, wicked things in the world because that's what my heart had always wanted to do. That's what the heart wants to do without Jesus. And I know there's a lot of people out there that aren't saved. They don't go to church. They're not Christian people. And no, they may not go out and murder people. Maybe they're not involved in sexual immorality. Maybe they're, according to the ways of the world, just pretty good people, you know. They pay their bills. They treat people right and good. That's fine. That probably comes from good teaching that they had from their parents. But without Jesus, you really can't do good things for the right reason. But when Jesus is in our heart, even then we mess up sometimes. But with Jesus in our heart, he is molding it and shaping it every single day of our life to get us in the direction that he wants us to go, to help us to become the people that he wants us to be. And no, after 45 years, I'm not totally perfect in every way. And neither are you. 
But it's okay as long as our heart is saying, God, get me where you want me to be. Keep me from evil. Keep me doing the right things. Help me to love like you want me to love. Help me to treat people the way you want me to treat them. Help me to to obey you in everything, God. That's the desire of my heart. But we have to learn and learn and learn, and it's a process. And God is so patient and wonderful. If you watch the greatest baseball player in the world... You know what? There was a time in his life when he had never seen a baseball. The first time he tried to throw it, it was like, (laughs) picked up a bat, might have struck out hundreds and hundreds of times before he hit that World Series home run. That's the way it is for us. God loves us. So then he says this, this thing. What do we do to make our hearts pleasing to God? Well, the first thing is to get saved. If you're not a saved believer, if you've never repented of your sins and gone to God in prayer and asked Jesus to come into your heart and forgive you of your sins, then I would recommend start today. Don't wait another minute. Today's the day of salvation. Get right with God as quickly as you can. Don't even wait for me to give you an opportunity. Right there where you are, you can whisper a prayer to Jesus right now and say, Jesus, I want to be saved. I believe you're the Son of God. Come into my heart. Forgive my sins. Wash me clean. I want to serve you and follow you with all of my heart. And then once we are a Christian, there's a wonderful verse over in Proverbs 4.23. It says, guard your heart above all else. Above all else. Guard your heart. Because you know why God said that in Proverbs? Because he knows that the heart is what determines what we do and what we think and everything else in life. And that's what it says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Now, remembering your heart is where your core values really are. Your heart is what you really love. Your heart is what you really serve, what's in your heart. And that's why he says guard it. You know why? Because the devil's got all these things in the world that he's trying to put in place of God in our heart. He wants us to love this, and he wants us to love that, and he wants us to love all these other things, and he wants them to be valuable. He wants them to be what we think about. The devil wants all the things of this world, sometimes people in this world, whatever it might be. It might be money. It might be people. It might be prestige. It might be all these other things. That's what the devil wants us to love. I mean, look at examples in the world. There's so many people. There's people that are getting paid $50 million to play a sport. And you know what? They won't be happy until they get $51 million. And I'll guarantee you that last million is not going to change the way they live a whole lot. It's just what they've become. They love people looking at them. They love being powerful. And, and we could give so many bad examples of it. But you know what? Guard your heart from that. There's a lot of people in this world that have a lot of money. And they're so unhappy and so miserable, it's pitiful. Some of them commit suicide. They're hung up on alcohol and drugs and all kind of other things because they are miserable. And there's people that have no money and they think, man, if I can just get enough money, I'll be happy. So they spend their time pursuing and working and leaving their wives and their husbands and their children, putting them aside, trying to make all this money so they can be happy. That's a bad heart. Is pursuing all these other things. So what we have to do when something comes along that gets our attention. Wow. That looks fun. That'd be nice to have. 
Man, if I had that, whoo, I could be driving down the highway in style. I pulled up in the church parking lot with that. Man, people would think, man, Brother Brad, man, he's doing good. If I could live in that neighborhood, everybody that knew my address would think, wow, they're really successful. They are extremely successful because they live in that $500,000 house. They're up to their eyeballs in debt, but they're living there, and everybody's thinking good of them. They're in there drinking so that they can try to have a little peace in their mind and in their heart, taking a little this and a little that. They're just miserable, but, man, if I could just have that house. You know what I'm talking about. There's all kind of things that's always bombarding us, trying to get our heart. They're not just trying to get you to do them. They're trying to get you to love them. And we got to make sure that we love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. So we got to be wise. Don't expose yourself to all of those things that might get into your heart. Just put a lid on it. Just shut it off. If you see yourself thinking about this, and again, you've heard me say this before. I don't care what you're driving. I hope you get to drive what I drive one day. Everybody should. And this ain't from the Lord, but I'm going to tell you, I was at the quick trip this morning, and a woman got out, of a big, got out of a big, fancy pickup truck looking at my car. And I walked up, and she said, I like that. She said, I like that. What is it? <laughs> but anyway, it doesn't matter. You can drive the best, live in the best neighborhood, and still have a heart that's right with God, a heart that loves God. And it's very important that we keep all these things in mind because whatever you're loving believe me Jesus can change it it doesn't mean you got to give up everything that's fun it doesn't mean you can't watch sports enjoy sports play sports buy this buy that it's just don't let anything get a hold of your heart when other things get a hold of our heart it causes us to do things that we shouldn't be doing treating people like we shouldn't be treating them speaking to people in harsh ways that we should not be speaking to them in that way we got to make sure that our heart belongs to God. See, the greatest thing that we can do is read the Bible. Read it and love it. Read it and love it. It will expose, you know what, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It gets right in between the joints and the marrow. Not only in your body, but in your spirit. It just exposes everything. And it's good. Don't skip over this part or that part. Just, just go read the Sermon on the Mount this week and see if you don't find something. Because it's there. Read the Bible. Spend time in prayer. Let loving and knowing Jesus become the greatest part of your life. And measure if He's really the greatest part of your life by what you're doing. If you're not reading the Bible, I don't mean to be judgmental, but you're in trouble. Can I just tell you that? I'm talking about, I know, none of us think we've ever read it enough. I've never read it enough. But I'm saying, if you never read the Bible, something's wrong. And it's time to get it right. Read it, but not only read it, but read the Bible with an attitude, God, show me things in my life that aren't pleasing to you. God, show me things in my life that I need to be doing for you. God, show me from your word 
what should be valuable to me. Show me, Lord, what I ought to be. Show me what a real Christian is. Show me how a Christian should treat other people in the world. Show me what kind of employee I should be on my job. Show me how to be a good husband and a good father or a good mother, a good child to my parents. God, read it with that in mind. Not just sit there reading it, well, i got to get this in today, but read it with an attitude. God, speak to me. And if you got that attitude, you're, you're getting down the road pretty good. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads? Yeah, give God praise this morning. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Word of God that is powerful, powerful, powerful to make us into the people that you want us to be. We thank you for it. God, it is a road map. It is the directions. It is the guidance that we need. Lord, let it be very much a part of our everyday life. Let us get familiar with everything that we possibly can in it. We may not understand it all. We may not be able to give the lineage of Jesus or, Lord, the history of your people, Israel. God, we can know the greatest parts that you love us so much that you gave your only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Let's just be quiet for a few minutes and let God speak to us right now. Man, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Put your heart in us, Lord. Give us your heart, oh God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I just feel like I'll need to let you know that if, if anybody here feels the need or the desire just to come around the altar and pray privately right now, I want you to know this altar is open. You come and pray.